Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. i got to tell you something, people. A lot of you know my guest is Jim Walsh from Beverly Hills 90210, but he's so much more. You know, he went to Juilliard. He's uh, He's been acting for a very long time. He's been on Broadway. He uh, has a new play out. Well, as we talk about this, it just wrapped, but I want to talk about it because I'm always fascinated when people direct plays that are actors because it's just exciting. And my guest is James Eckhouse. How you doing, James? Great, Steve. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so so let's talk about the play. And I asked you before, I, I said, is it Brothers? Because when I Googled it, Brothers Play. So tell me about Brothers Play. Um, how did you decide to direct this? What happened? Uh, well, I, I was forced into it. Um, <laughs> I had no choice. No, I, I direct a lot, actually. And there's um, the theater scene in, in L.A. is, well, it's tough. There, there are some... Uh, larger theaters that get all the attention, get all the money. And then there's a whole slew of these theaters that we call 99 seat theaters because equity allows us to have a much smaller contract as long as there's 99 seat or under, under hundred seats. Okay. So that, and, and developing an audience in LA is problematical. Let's say at best, it's not like there's a hungry New York audience or Chicago or, or Minneapolis. It's, it's, you know, because there's a certain TV industry that happens to be here that is far more important in people's eyes. All right. But I do direct. I direct a lot. I direct it whenever I can. I, I've always been. It's always been another sort of part of my my career, as it were. Um, no, so uh, basically, one of the actors, it came to me with the three actors intact already. I hadn't met the playwright. I'd heard of him. Uh, all three actors I knew pretty well. Uh, it was um, something that one of the actors brought to me, Jamie Walrab, who's phenomenal, and and I directed him before in a one-man show, and he's in my theater company in L.A., and that's my cat, Cleo. She's going to say hello. Come on, maybe we put her up here. There's Cleo. Um, I say hi. Um, so he brought me this play, and he said, oh, James, you're going to direct this play. And I was like, no, I, I can't do another small theater production and he said no no you have to and he brought the actors over because they'd already been involved with it and we did a reading in my backyard and i was like i have to direct this play it was it's a very um powerful piece that balances a kind of wacky comedy with tragedy because at the heart of it is the abuse, sexual abuse, that these three brothers experienced as young kids at the hands of their priest. So it's fairly timely. Now, the nature of the play is that it's it reads more like Ionesco or Beckett. It's not realistic. You you never quite know if the parents are dead or not. The three of them bounce off of each other. They're all in denial except for one of them who now thinks now is trying to bring it to light. And in bringing it to light, he's upsetting the balance of the of this weird family dynamic between the three brothers. And in so doing, it ends up in tragedy for one of them because the other two brothers are they're in complete denial. And they're and all three lives have been put into total disarray. As what happens with people who have had sexual abuse at an early age, they become they it can cause a huge amount of disconnection, dysfunction. I'm very familiar with it with whatever, relatives, friends. So I was really drawn to the subject and the way that Matt 
brilliantly turns it sort of farcical so you you're laughing and then about halfway through the play you start to even though there's comedy throughout of it you 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 start to understand what's at the heart of it and it becomes kind of sickening so it's a powerful play I can imagine it's great, you know, that you're directing it. And it's funny because you have the background in acting and you have directed before. But now your acting career. Now, I don't know. You never know when you read research and stuff like that. Did you actually go to MIT? I did. Okay, so yeah, I want to find out, how does a guy, I mean, did you want to act and your parents said, go to MIT? Or how did this whole career happen? Because I don't know, I've, I've interviewed thousands of actors. And I don't know anyone who's going to MIT and Juilliard. That's like the most random thing yeah but it's a talk about being bifurcated right i try to explain it um it was an interesting journey i i always had been a science geek growing up and in my family with you know kind of a quasi-liberal jewish family who thought of themselves as intellectuals <laughs> whether they were or not um yeah i mean the i you know i did a lot of uh, theater drama in in high school and before and um, the idea of somebody in my family becoming an actor was a little bit like it would be like, oh, so James, you want to be you want to be a prostitute? That's wonderful, <laughs> darling. You know, that's a really great career. I mean, that's about where it lay on the <clears throat> the um, respect level, let's say. So I, I never even thought of it as a career, and I and um, I always loved science and. Uh, I was very fortunate to get in at age 17, you know, and, and studying physics. And um, I think in my minor at MIT was Wellesley College Women. And I did much better at my minor than I did at my major. So <laughs> that was the beginning of my demise. No, and, and then the, the truth of it is I got sucked into this thing called Drama Shop. It was great. It was like a, you know, campus theater group. And it was for um, it was for the geeks, all of us, um, who would play the leads. But all the other roles were out of work Boston actors, so and they were professional actors. So you got to work with these great people, and I immediately started doing a play like I never should have, and that was the beginning of the end. I I, I did four plays a year when I was at MIT. I also directed costumes, all this stuff, and finally. A playwright friend uh, who he was a mentor of mine and he was a director there and he was a very well-known playwright his name was uh, Pete Gurney A.R. Gurney Jr. he wrote The Dining Room and he wrote Love Letters and he, he was a very waspy really wonderful wonderful man and he brought me into his office and, and one day after and he said James what you know what do you want to do and I said well you know Pete I'm gonna be a, a neurophysiologist and he said no you're not you're an actor and I was like yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I left after a few years and uh, went to Chicago and started doing, you know, pub theater, all kinds of theater and uh, auditioned for Juilliard because I wanted to get to New York, wanted some training. And that's what I did. So it was a, a kooky path. What was Juilliard like back then? Because everything changes now. And I talk to people, the auditions were one thing. Now it's like, you know, oh, you can just send an audition on the internet. You can do that. I mean, I used to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. So when we when we had to get a gig, we had to send a videotape and make a resume and send a headshot. And you're like, well, do I really want to spend 
$8 to get into a club that might yeah. pay me $150 for one weekend, you know, unless it's yeah. something. And it was a lot different. But what was the audition process like for Juilliard? Was it was it hard on you? Did you have to create characters? Or what was it like when you went in there? Oh, you know, I think it was a much easier process than it is now. Now you get called back several times. The competition is insane because, you know, everybody's now that's, they want to come to school, you know, everybody in their... You know that that and, and it's more respectable now. I think you know the idea of becoming an actor. So, you know, I auditioned in Chicago uh, for John Houseman. Um, uh, I didn't even have to do a callback. You know, like I mean, I I just I, you know, did two auditions and John interviewed me afterwards. And you know, I, John Houseman, you know, John Houseman, Paper Chase. And they said, oh, Mr. Eckhouse, I see here that you uh, you went to Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Yeah, I did. Why on earth would you want to become an actor? I said, well, Mr. Houseman, the cast parties and the women. <laughs> and, he, I, and he went, that's a very good answer. <laughs> So, so you go to Juilliard. I don't now, think you can get away with that now. That was long before oh, me, too, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Now, now, you go to Juilliard. Now, when you get out, and once again, I've heard this story many times, you know, Juilliard prepares you on the craft, but they don't prepare you on actually what to do, the business side, when you get out. So how do you hit that? Because, one, we know you're intelligent because you went to MIT. So you, you can probably figure it out, you know. You, you, that's just the way it is. But what did you? how did you start hitting the field running? Like, what made... Did you get an agent right away, or, or did you start auditioning, or what happened? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was, first of all, I, I really, I know now that um, all these schools, NYU, um, Juilliard, all the, all the good schools, they, they do spend a good deal of time talking about the business. They have to, <clears throat> and that is great. We had none of that, none of that. We weren't even, we weren't even, we didn't even think we would ever do Film and television. I know that sounds sort of naive, but you know, back then it was like, oh, you're going to be a force in the American theater. You know, they didn't tell you that you'd make three cents if you're lucky, and, and you know, you wouldn't be eating. Good luck. And once I had a family, that's why things changed. Um, but I was very, I was very fortunate because um, my last year, uh, we did a, a a bunch of plays in rep. We did, you know, four plays and. I got to play wonderfully great roles in, in three of them. And there I was at Lincoln Center being reviewed. You know, before I graduated, I had an agent. So it, I really, it's, it's, I'm ashamed to say how, how lucky I am. You know, I would, I, I don't even know what I would do now. I don't even know if I'd get into the business right now. I mean, it's so changed. It's so changed. It's so, it, it, it's, and that's an interesting thing to talk about with people is, and I'm sure many of your guests have talked about just, you know, because of social media and, and the number of, of um, not even networks anymore, you know, the, num the number of venues, how much show, many shows, it's also different. Um, so I went into it thinking that I would be an actor on the American stage. So I immediately started doing um, what they call regional theaters of which, you know, like, like going, I went to almost every city in the United States. I went to Hartford, Connecticut, and Atlanta, Georgia, and Minneapolis, and and so on and so on, Boston, and da 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 da. da. Doing you do 
a four-week rehearsal and a four-week run doing Shakespeare, Sam Shepard, uh, uh, you know, uh, modern plays, classic plays. And that was really where I got my training, was doing it, just doing it. And, you know, I would audition in New York for a play, and then I would go out of town for eight weeks or ten weeks. And, uh, you, you know, and you tried to keep an apartment back in New York, and you made bubkas, but you made just enough to, to get by. And you got housing in your, at whatever city you were in. And I got to play incredible roles, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, then I married, child, poor as church mice, working all the time, off-Broadway, regional theaters, and realizing we had to move to L.A. <laughs> to just be able to, you know. What was that like? You know, because you were, you were, you know, it's so different. I, I lived in L.A. I'm, I'm from outside Philadelphia, and I lived outside New York, and I lived in L.A. for 15, 18 years, and it's so oh different when, when you go out there. You know, I lived in Burbank. What, I'm sorry, what years? What, what years were you I here? just moved back five years ago, so I was oh, there. Yeah, easily. I was, okay. you know, but, you know, it was it's such an eye-opener, and it, it was, once again, I told the people when I moved out there, you know, if you went for an audition or anything, you had to get a Thomas map out. You know, you pull the damn thing out, and no one understands. Oh, GPS. But for you, when you moved out, what was it like? Pull, you're basically pulling up your roots. You you have a family, and you know you want to act, and you know you're going to have to go into you you move in there to go to TV to make money. So what is what was that like? I mean, were you sitting there going, you know what, I want to keep doing this, I'm going to have to make that jump, or I mean, was it a hard decision to leave New York? It, it was it was really tough. I mean, it was really and it was uprooting. I mean, I'm lucky again that I did have representation. Um, what I did have is there was a theater company, and I knew all, a lot of the people in it. It was called, it was a, a there's a company in New York called Circle Rep, very well known. Not, you know that was a big theater company, and they had a division out here, small, you know. And I immediately be, see I've always when I was on the show, I was always doing theater. I've always done theater. I just you know, for either because I'm a masochist, I don't know why. It's just that's my lifeblood, you know. I've directed, I've acted, I've so immediately I got involved with a theater company. And that kind of saved me. And it always has. It's a you know, it's a community of people. You can practice your craft, stay 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 supple and hot and you know, and that was key for me. Um but learning how to audition on, on camera was it was it was I mean, I, I had done some, I did some films in, in, in New York, so that's, it wasn't like I was green that way, but it was different. Um, driving around, you know, driving, 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 driving to auditions, and it took me a couple of years before I sort of got a, got a hold of things, you know? Now, how long till you started getting work in L.A.? When, when did you start getting Well, I did, work? I did get work, I mean, I, I, again, I was, I was very fortunate. I mean, I started, I started doing guest star work pretty, pretty quickly. You know, again, it was, it's so different now, Steve. I mean, with, you know, now all of your auditions on tape, there's no such thing as a, um, you know, in-person audition. And it's, it's tough. I teach, I've been teaching for 20 years and it's, you know, it's challenging with my students because they're all like, how do I get work? How do I get work? And I'm, it's, that's a part of it now that I really, I don't, I have no career advice because that's just something I don't do or know about. I know about the t the process. Of, and I've also so. heard, and you can answer to this because you've been around, 
it's changed a lot for the character actor because before you would get that really good rate for a week, but now they might bring him for a day rate. No, oh, we'll squeeze him and pay the overtime instead of paying him for the whole week. And now it's someone who, let's say you had a TV series before, you would never do a guest spot, but now. Well, no, I did. I did even when I was on TV. I, I, but I would get. I wouldn't have to audition. I'd get. You know, I just get asked to do it, and I'd usually make, you know, a decent amount of money because I was on the show. You know, so yeah, it was. But I still did. I. I I'm a total whore. I do. I just work. I mean, people. I'm about. You know, somebody asked me to do. One scene on a movie that that. Uh, Ned Beatty's doing and 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 somebody else and I said we'll do a scene fine I don't care but it works work now but as you, that, as you're working you're working you're getting a lot of work how does Beverly Hills 90210 come about like were you sitting there were you look I mean of course were you getting any pilots at that time before then or what yeah, was no what I had was done, I had done a, a good number of pilots yeah tell me about some of the pilots because I've heard some great stories about pilots that you sit there and go how did that not get picked up like such sure. and such wrote it. Tell me some of the pilots that you were surprised didn't get picked up. Well, one of my favorites, I was actually living in New York, and I got flown out to do a pilot with uh, Edswick and Marshall Herskowitz, who, uh, and, and it was the same year they did 30-something, and they did two pilots that year. Uh, they did 30-something, uh, of which my um, former roommate, uh, Ken Olin, was one of the stars. And then they did um, this thing called Sawdust about uh, this this uh, accountant who lives somewhere out in Connecticut and buys this rundown rinky-dink traveling circus to make it work. And it was a hoot. I loved this. And I, so, you know, I had a ringmaster and we, we filmed it up in, uh, up in Valencia, you know, out in the wilds of Valencia. And we, we had a great cast and uh, Ed and Marshall produced it. But, of course, we didn't get picked up, and I, I was convinced we were going. I thought, oh, this is it, going to move the family out to L.A., you know. But uh, it, it was it, 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 the, my my favorite moment was I got shot out of a cannon, which was hysterical. I mean, you know, I played this sort of Woody Allen, you know, accountant guy, mild mannered, with all these crazy egos, and I had I had to deal with chimpanzees and uh, you know Russian acrobats and all kinds of things. You know who was on that show? Leslie Jordan. Oh wow! Okay, the late, yeah, it's crazy. So now, how do you how do you adjust to that as an actor? Like when you sit there and you really think it's going to get picked up and it's fun and you're looking forward to it and you think it's like anything. We all get excited, you know. You go, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to get this, and then all of a sudden it doesn't get picked up. You, did you get very depressed or or what kept you going that you sat there and went, man, this was like the perfect vehicle for me, and I just got shit on. I can't, I can't do it. Like, how are you, how would you bounce back? Because you, you went through a few pilots, you said, so it must be, you know, I always say to people, I know so many people are like, well, I've been in so many pilots that didn't get picked up. I go, yeah, but at least you got a pilot. Like, there's so many people in the world who can go, well, I can't even get a job as an extra, but this person's yeah. getting a pilot. But how do you, yeah. you know, the first one must be so, you're pumped, but after a while, do, do you get a little, like, callous, like saying, yeah, it's another pilot, I'm going to go in, I don't know what's going to happen. No, I don't get calloused. I would say, you know, the, the the lessons you learn, you learn over and over and over. You know, and of course, and I think that's true for everyone. Is there's a well? First of all, what keeps you going is 
you know, you yeah, you get upset and you think, oh my God, you know, we could we could live for a good two or three years maybe, and you know, and then you look over at your two-year-old son or, or at that point, you know, three-year-old son and, and one-year-old, whatever, and your wife and your and your mortgage, and you go, you better get back up on the horse, buddy. You know, there's no time here. Just get to work. You know, it's like boom, keep going. But you know what you're saying about other people doing it compared to spare it's it's brutal in this business because you know you're you go to an audition and you see five or six people who have all come up through the ranks and you're like oh he's been working all the time he's going to get the part sure enough he does you know you're 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 always feel like you're competing you're driving down sunset boulevard and there's your friend who got the pilot it you know magnified a thousand times in front of you in sunset boulevard so you know the ego it's it where you and i mean i really mean this and i'm not trying to be ooey ooey but where you place your ego and it's i think it's true in every it's true in every field it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or you're working at wendy's or whatever you're doing where where do you where your ego lives and bumps against the other egos out there is it's no small potatoes. It's really something that you have to, or at least I've always had to deal with. I've always had to deal with. And I think that it was a real lesson, you know, to have things not work out the way you expected to sometimes, you know, or come out of left field. <clears throat> this, I have to say 90210 came pretty much out of left field. I mean, I was never like, oh, this is going to be a great show or anything like that. I almost missed the audition and then I almost missed the callback. And, you know, and my wife was saying, no, James, this this is a good, this is going to be a popular show. And I was like, it was called 90210. And I thought, what? Whatever. You know, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, and Ch Chuck Rosen knows that, the, the uh, is still a good friend of mine um, who ran the show. But, uh, you know, anyway, you never know where it's going to happen. You... When I when I had a theater company in New York, I had my best friend was the artistic director with me, and he's since passed away, but he was quite a genius. And he, when we would look at people who would we would want to have come into our company, he would always turn to me and say, "Are they in it for the duration? Are they in it for the duration? In other words, are they going to be an actor come hell or high water?" Because when you think about it. If you had a child, I don't know if you have a child, but if you had a child who uh, required some kind of very complicated surgery, okay? So you were gonna audition surgeons, all right? And you had a bunch of surgeons come in. And one came in and said, yeah, you know, this, I love surgery's really cool, you know, it's great, you get a lot of money and, you know, you make a lot of fame. So I'm really, uh, you know, I'm really excited about doing the surgery because, uh, you know, I'd like to make a lot of money and then hopefully get rich by a house and then, you know, maybe go on to something else. Or another surgeon comes in, maybe he's an old fart. And he's like, I've done 60 of these and I'll be doing another, I'll be doing these to the day I die. And I read up on all the things and I really don't give a shit about the money. And I don't care about being a famous surgeon, but I care about being the best surgeon, right? Who are you going to hire? Who are you going to hire? We've got to come in with the sense that we're the expert, that we're doing this because we absolutely, it's, it's sacred to us. It's the be all end all. When I, I've directed on episodic television 
And when I see people come in with that kind of attitude of like, well, you owe me or, you know, I'm pretty and I should be a star. You know, I, look, some people, they get hired, they become famous. I'm not saying that's not that's not that I could you could say he's full of shit. And I will say, yeah, you're right. But for my money, for my money. When I'm when I'm auditioning people. I want them to come in and say, move aside. I'm the expert. I'm the expert about acting. I know what this character is. I know all about this. And I'm doing it because I want to make this character the most vivid thing ever. This whole, this work to me of telling stories is sacred because the people in the room, the executives, the writers, it is the most important thing in the world to them. For them to have gotten a show on Netflix, on ABC, on, on Hulu, the competition is insane. It's ferocious. So they, their baby, their, their story, even if it, it doesn't matter whether it's the most ludicrously, you know, if it's the top housewives of Podunk, Iowa, or, you know, or it's about, you know, it's about Osama bin Laden. It doesn't matter. For them, it's the most important thing in the world. And if you don't have that same, same drive. So it's about, you know, where do you put your ego? If your ego is, I want to tell stories to the day I die, you're gonna to have to drag me off the fucking set, which is true. I mean, you know, you are, I'm going to be 103. And they're gonna be like, James, you're dead. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And they'll be like, no, no, you really are dead. And I'm like, I'm no, acting, I'm, I'm acting. I'm acting, I'm, I'm acting, I'm not dead. What are you talking about? You know, so when I get that sense from an actor, that gives me confidence. Like it would give you confidence to hire the surgeon. That that makes so much sense. Now, you brought up Beverly Hills 90210. I do want to talk about that because I, it, it was so gotcha. funny when that show blew up. Like, I was I was doing comedy at the time, and all of a sudden, all the comics, you know, we went from wearing, like, blazers with the sleeves pulled up to, like, because we were younger, we were in our 20s, you know, wearing, like, the T-shirt and growing the sideburns and wearing the jeans. And, like, and that was, like, before that was, like, the hillbilly outfit, you know, like, the, the T-shirt tucked into jeans with, you know. But, yeah. so you said you... The Luke Perry look. Yeah, you, so you said you you almost blew off the audition. Why? Because I had a couple of other auditions at that time, and one was a really cool... It was actually a movie of the week, but it was... You know, it felt very prestigious. It was um, uh, some high mucky mucks were doing it. I don't know who it was at the time. And it felt like, oh, this is the show that I really got to put my energy into. So I was kind of blowing it off. Like, oh, I don't, you know. And and uh, like I said, my wife said, no, James, this show's got, I, this show's got legs. I know it. She said, and I said, really? She said, yeah, yeah, you need to, you know. So, of course, I did. I mean, I. <clears throat> I'm being a little bit, um, um, what's the word, uh, exaggerating the story. But, you know, I, I, I really was late to the audition and kind of blew it off. And then I got called back. And then I was one of the, you know, you had to go through several auditions. And the one before the network audition, as they call it, was for, the, for Aaron Spelling. I hadn't met Aaron Spelling yet. So this was like the third audition, third callback, second callback. And... Uh, I'm in the room and there are three other actors, all of whom I know, uh, two of I've worked with, right? And they're super wasp, super wasp, good looking. One was already doing some series. He was in makeup or something, so he looked great, you know, confident. I looked at them and I was like, 
They're gonna hire a Jew from Chicago to play this wasp? I mean, give me a fucking break, right? I mean, I thought, what are they thinking? I really, I know. So I come in and Carol Potter had been cast because what had happened is they had actually done the pilot with another actor in, in my role. Really fabulous actor, but it just didn't work for whatever reasons. Not his fault at all. And uh, so they were looking for a replacement. So they'd already hired Luke and, and Jason and, and Shannon and so on. So I go in the room feeling like, you know, in a way it just made me feel like, what the fuck, I, there's no way, you know. And they wanted me to read with, with Carol. So I read with Carol. And we actually have a kind of, we, we, we have a wonderful flirtatious, you know, it, it, mutual admiration for each other instantly, you know. We just had fun with each other. But I leave, and uh, Carol told me this. So there's, you know, the producers, and Aaron Spelling. There's like five of them in the room. And uh, they've seen all the guys. And Aaron turns to uh, the producer, Chuck, and goes, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's, uh, there, there's something about that Eckhouse character. There's something about that Eckhouse character. And Carol goes, yeah, he's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, in Aaron's mind, I'm sure he was like, you know, he's a he's a Jew wannabe wasp, like all the tribe, you know. <laughs> so so then, so then they, after that, they call you back and you have to go back in again or you. Yeah, that, you got to go to the, what's called the network audition. And that's where you go to the network. I don't even know if they, they do something like that, where then the heads of the network, they're all sitting up there and some you know, one of those uh, screening theaters, there's maybe up 200 seats and there's four people and they're all way back there, you know, and you're an actor, you're used to playing the house and it's like, we've got four people in the audience? This is horrible, you know, you're, you're like, how am I supposed to play to four people, you know, because they're there, it's not like, you know, but they're just there looking, they don't want to, you know. So you go in, I, w I went into the, um, I went into the men's room before to kind of like, you know, fluffed myself up and there's this kid there and he was about ready to throw up. He was so nervous. His name was Luke Perry. He said, you know, there's just no way I'm going to get this. I know I'm not. I was like, you know, we, and we were commiserating about how fucking nervous we were, you know, and how, and, uh, he was Luke. He was one of the great people. He was one of the really, People have no idea how generous he was and what a down-to-earth, gorgeous human being he was. He was really something. Anyway, big loss. Um, won't go there. So that's, yeah. So then, uh, then, oh, yeah. And then I called my agent afterwards, as one does. And I said to Michael, the agent at that time, I remember I said something like, Mike, I don't know what to say. I was so nervous. Again, one of the guys was still there in his makeup, looked great. I thought it was between me and him. I went, he's going to get the role. So I had a really kind of, a, I didn't feel very good about the audition. And I called my agent. I said, I hate to see, he said, how'd it go? How'd it go? And I said, uh, not very well, Mike. I said, I, I don't, I just don't think I, I don't think I nailed it. I said, to be honest with you, I'm really sorry. And I said, I just, you know, and he goes, all right, all right. Well, let me call you back calls me back 15 minutes later. He goes, well, you were right. You did a pretty bad job, but you still got the role. <laughs> I said, are you fucking kidding me? He said, no, you got the role. 
Now, when you got that role, was it for a pilot, or did, or did no, they no, already no, have they, an order? They've done the pilot, so that was okay. So you said that. So, 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 so show was already going. So now, this was your first series regular because before you were a guest oh, star, yeah. you know, you know, you had pilots and stuff like that. So, what is that like when you're going in and you know you have? I don't know if they did for twelve or twenty-three, but you have those payday twenty-three. Oh, so you know this well, Steve. I know because you know what you're talking about, right? So um, it's the way they work. It is a little cruel. You get a contract for five years, and you see what you would be making if they did it for five years, twenty-three shows, and you're looking at money that is funny money like you know you gotta you know we're we're almost close to getting food stamps that's where we're at with our two kids you know um we're barely making it i'm i'm not i'm serious and it was like you know do i give up no keep going keep going keep going and you're looking at you know the opportunity of a lifetime you know but it's also but you have to sign it so your agent is negotiating the contract Usually, as you're sitting in the waiting room, I kid you not, I've done pilots where the casting director, I'm sitting in the waiting room about to go in, and I have to go into the casting office and go, they want to change the contract, you know, and you have to go through it and think about the money as opposed to thinking about the audition. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's, you know, heart-stopping. That one wasn't as bad because we had done the negotiation. But, yeah, you do this negotiation that means nothing. Because you haven't got the role yet. But once you got the role, and you know it's 23 episodes, and you know you're not going to be close to food stamps right now because you're on the role, how, what is the feeling of that as an actor? Like, do you sit there and just give a huge sigh of relief knowing you have to still produce because if you go on and you don't do your job, they're like, yeah, well, we don't know when this guy's not working. We, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to kill him off. But what is it? I mean, what was your feeling? Was Did you just go home and say to your wife, you know what? Guess what? You know, we're going out for a big-ass dinner tonight. Let's take the kids. You know, they can order off the adult menu. I mean, what was your feeling? Because it was, even though you were successful, it was one of those people always go, oh, well, you were a guest star, but now you have a series. What was it like for you just to know that for at least one year, you were living in, you know, hog's heaven? So in my tribe, we call it the shtetl mentality, right? At any moment, the Cossacks are going to come in and raid the village. <laughs> we may have food tonight, okay, Uncle Isaac, but it could all be over tomorrow morning. That's how I looked at work. I, I never took it for granted, ever, ever. Now, now you're on the show, and when did it start taking off? Because I, it's, I remember the show, and I, I would watch it, but it was a long time ago for me. You were on it, but was it a hit the first season? I mean, how did it? What was the building of it? Because it just blew, blew up. Well, first of all, Jason and I used to take bets, and we would go like. When are they going to pull the plug? They, we were like, this thing is not going to go. This is ridiculous. Teenage soap opera, you know. And 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 Jay and I would be like, what do you think? I would go five. You go eh, three episode. You know, that was what our bet was throughout the year. At the end of the first year, and I I wasn't really aware of it. And listen, I 
for better or for worse, I never really bought into, I mean, that's why I'm a minor celebrity. I'm a minor, I'm not a celebrity, you know, I never was. And I knew I would never would be because it was about the kids. And that's great. My agent was very smart about that. He said, don't try to ride the bandwagon, you know. I had two small kids. I was coaching soccer. I was redoing my house. I was at Home Depot every weekend. You know, my life was so un Hollywood, I cannot tell you. I drove a 15 year old car. I, I actually I rode my bicycle to work. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was doing all the plumbing on my house. It was nuts. And I, so I wasn't even, I was, you know, I, lo I loved doing the show. I went into the show and then I came home and I wanted to keep my kids away from the whole Michigas of the, you know what I mean? It was like, I wanted to protect my family from that. So we're, so, uh, we're at the end of the first season and we've decided to do these summer episodes right away. Big, very smart of, of, uh, Mr. Murdoch, we're going to do summer episodes. Like instead of just doing the 23, we're going to go into the summer. No networks had done that. We weren't even a network at that point. So we're going to go up to see uh, my sister up in, in, um, uh, uh, up in uh, Lake, uh, Lake Tahoe, okay, which we would do from time to time. Pile the kids into the van. We had some old, you know, suburban white van. And uh, we're driving up. And we stop in Bishop. You know where Bishop is? It's a lovely small town on the eastern side of the Sierras, <clears throat> halfway up to Lake Tahoe from L.A. And there's a big park there, beautiful park. And we said, oh, let's stop and graze the kids, because it's a nine-hour drive. So we went to do it all at once. So we said, let's stop and graze the kids, get some lunch. So the oldest at that point, I don't know how old it was, like three, four, he loved tennis. And there was some tennis tournament going on way over another part of the park. And it was over this like rise. So you couldn't see where the tennis courts were, but you heard about it. So my wife took him to go there. I took the little baby and I went to the swing sets, put him in one of those ones where the leg goes through and the thing, you know, and I'm, I'm pushing my, my beautiful little one-year-old and, uh, or, yeah, I guess it was like one at that point. I'm pushing him. And I, I look over at the park, like to where the uh, benches are, the, what do you call them? Um, picnic bench. And about literally maybe 75 yards away, I kind of noticed this guy, and like in his 40s, sitting with a, a young, maybe a teenager, and they're staring at me. And I'm like, what? It's creepy. I'm like, what are they staring at me for, you know? And I don't think about it. And they get up and walk away. I'm pushing my son and talking to him and baby talk and, you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I see my wife coming up over the hill from the tennis courts. And she's dragging. I mean, she's literally dragging my my four-year-old son, just like pulling him by the, he's like, Mom! and she comes up to me, she goes, get into the car now. I said, what? She said, get into the car now. Take, take Gabe, go, go, go. And I grab Gabe, I go, what's going on? What's going on? And I look behind me and there's this mob of 65, 70 people coming over the hill, coming at me. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> And we get to the car just in time, and I didn't have the sense to stop and just go, oh, hey, here, you know, I never, never, ever envisioned anything like this happening to me in my life. You know, like, why would anybody want me? So we slam the door, you know, and people surround the car, Mr. Walsh, Mr. Walsh, and they're banging on the car like children of the damned, you know, and we'd start the car and we go, sorry, sorry, and we pull through and pull through and get out. My wife is freaked out. And I turned around and I said, we're not in Kansas anymore. 
<laughs> and that was the beginning of like, oh, I get it. This this show is it it it's hitting the zeitgeist, you know. Well, what was it like working with? Young actors that are becoming big. Like, I, I recently interviewed Matthew Lawrence, who talked about me. He was on St. Elmo's Fire. Oh. But he talked about St. Elmo's Fire. The Brat Pack was getting big. And he said they were great. You know, everyone puts tabloids. But he said it was great working with them. You know, you're a little bit older. You're, it's funny because you weren't that much older than, like, your kids. You're, like, 16 years older than your kids, which always cracks me up. I, I guess. Yeah. I always think, like, when I see... A little, more, a little more than that, I think. But, but, yeah. But it was, like, what was it like working with them? Because, one, you were getting recognized that way as a dad. But for them, they were like rock stars. And it must oh, be yeah. weird on the set because they're probably the same to you. But at that age, it has to go to your head a little bit. I mean, it's just an, a yeah. normal reaction. Yeah. I mean, it was and it was very poppy and People magazine. And, you know, I mean, the good thing is that once we were all together, we really loved working with each other, I have to say. I mean, by and large by and large everybody for the most part um had 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 it in perspective they knew you know yeah it was it was head turning and they sometimes got them into trouble i think you know whereas luckily for me you know it was it was like eh, i mean i didn't see this as something that was going to be some i i know i got recognized a lot but i i never really bought into the fact that i was some kind of celebrity i mean you know People would say you're famous. I go, oh yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be overly humble. It just didn't. And I, you know, I'd been in New York a long time, and and I, I looked at it a little differently, you know. And I'd had a, a career, you know, in, in many ways, and I had done film, and so it wasn't, it wasn't this kind of rocket to success, and it wasn't the kind of success that they obviously were uh, enjoying, and, um. You know, there were there were times when there were some ego battles on the set and but I wasn't really a part of it. You know what I mean? It wasn't that, that those that was with each other. Sometimes that was the, among I will say among the women, among the, the ladies uh, got a little into who's got the bigger this, who's got the better this, you know, but, uh, you know, by and large to be really because we we filmed in this ridiculous little place. It was a warehouse that, that Aaron Spelling had bought. And the, the rooms were just made, they just slapped them up, the dressing rooms with drywall. You could hear everything. We were all in the same place. There was no privacy. Everybody was all over everybody's room all the time. We were always playing games. You know, it was just like camp. It was like summer camp. So the the whole onslaught in a lot of ways got got left at the door. Now and you had to do your work. Now you left after what season? The fifth season. So I now, mean, I, you know, I, I didn't leave, but you know, they said, "Look, we can't give you every show, so you'll be a guest star every once in a while." So now, at what point in that series do you just say you step up and say, "I want to direct an episode"? Because I know you directed three episodes. Was that put in your contract, or you, is that something you said? I've directed, I've directed theater. I want to. So how did you get the? How did you get to start directing? Well, I knew I knew I wanted to, and it, and they couldn't give it to me in the second season. They were very afraid of everybody becoming a director, which, of course, they all did become a director. But uh, Jason, I think, had it in his contract, so he was starting to direct a little bit. 
Um, I had to prove, I, I actually had to go do what was called observing. I would follow directors around, not just on 90210, but on other sets. Many, many, many directors where I would go from start to finish, from prep, through shooting, through, you know, through casting, through editing. Uh, I actually took classes at UCLA. I had to really prove to them that that's what I wanted to do. And they were still very reluctant because they just were afraid that all the other actors would want to follow suit. They didn't for years, so it didn't really matter. But anyway, uh, and one day I was in the, in the makeup trailer and uh, the uh, UPM came in and said, hey, James, one of the directors has fallen out. Um, they're supposed to start in three days. Do you want to do it? I was like, oh my God, that means like three days of prep. But you know, of course it's my show. So I jumped at it, yeah, and I did. And it was, I loved it. Is it easy directing? Is it easier to direct a show that you're on because you oh. know you know the actors and their their talents and their weaknesses, and so you can play to that? I mean, was it easy? And did, did any of them sit there at one point and be like, "Well, you're Jim Walsh. What are you, you tell me what to do?" I mean, how is it in in directing them when you were already had been working with them? Um, I, it was actually a lot of fun because it was like you know they were colleagues and. Um, you know, I came from theater, so I was always rehearsing scenes, which was kind of unusual. Most directors, you know, they just got in and told them where to go, what to move. <laughs> and I was like, hey, let's sit in the trailer and read the scene, see what we think, you know. Um, but it was, her you know, it was, it was challenging for me. I, people say, oh, directing episode is a piece of cake. Uh, I, don't, I disagree. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's challenging. You've got a big machine that you're running. And um, yes, and, and have Having a show that you're on is a million times easier. A million times easier. You know, you know, you're, everybody's a friend. All the, the set people, they know you well. So, you know, they treat you like you're one of the family. When you go, and I've directed, you know, I directed a show um, where I was a guest director. And that's a lot more challenging to come in as a guest director. Because, you know, it's a machine that's running. Everybody knows, the, the department heads, they know how the thing works. They're not going to sit there and listen to... You know, your ideas, like, no, 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 that's not how we do it. We don't shoot it that way. We do it this way. So you're very limited, you know, and you have to, yeah. No, no, I was going to say, after the show ended, after you, Beverly Hills was over, what do you do then? Are you sitting there, or, you, you know, you have, to, you have to, do you feel like you have to start over again, or are you getting offers, you have to audition, or what happens because you're coming off a, it was a popular show. I mean, what, how did it change your career? So you get a supply of uh, whiskey and you, uh, you know, you, you sit in your pajamas and uh, turn off the lights and sit in the corner and, and, and drink yourself to, to oblivion. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It, it was both a blessing and a curse. You know, I, I, I was. I was kind of, you know, I knew my time was up. They're going to graduate from high school. So it wasn't a big surprise. And. Uh, Again, I immediately took over as artistic director of a theater company, Ensemble Studio Theater LA, with a friend, and that took up all of my energy and time. Uh, and yeah, and I was doing guest stars and stuff. It, 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 it the work is the work. You know what I mean? The work is the work. You start to realize. I mean, it's 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 really instructive to rub shoulders and work with people and see egos at work that 
sometimes take over the main they 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 be, if the ego is front and center it's it's a very important part of being any kind of successful person no question about it but if that's all it is you can see what an unhappy life it can lead to it really can because you're never going to be satisfied you know and it's always going to be about whether you're on top or whether somebody else is on top or you know and i mean much to my detriment yeah i have a big ass ego and no question about it and i'm very competitive but yeah there's a there's a there's a part of me that you know my my spiel is hey you know seriously i went to the golden globes there i am limousine there's you know sitting next to clint eastwood and blah 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 and the next day i am cleaning toilets at my theater company i kid you not and that to me is like eh you know if you to not take yourself so seriously is really, I think, really important. And to realize that you're up, you're down. It, 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 that's true for everybody. For all the people that are in the spotlight right now that have the big eye of the media on them, right? Oh, my God, this person, this person. And we think, oh, they are. For every one of those, there's at least 20,000 other people who either were in the spotlight last week, last year, 10 years ago. You know, and I know it's like, well, what happened to they're just being human beings? You know, the spotlight makes it feel like, oh, my God, this is it. This is everything. You know, if you got a show on, if you got a this on, if you got a that on, you know, if, if, if you live your life for that, I think that can be dangerous. Well, you know, and you're an actor's actor. You know, you, you, it's very obvious you love acting. Now, you did. Did you do Broadway with Cranston? Yeah. Okay, now tell, when did that happen? And tell me about Broadway, because as an actor, that must be like if you're a baseball, like if you played baseball as a kid and you go into Yankee Stadium and you're like, holy shit, it's Yankee Stadium. Tell me the Broadway story, because Broadway must be like, was it everything you thought? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, um, I'd done uh, some understudying on Broadway and um, certainly visited a lot of friends. Broadway theaters are in such bad shape physically decrepit when we're going under the stage to go to the front of the audience to do some of our entrances you are seeing rats run back and forth you're in a dressing room the size of a shoebox that you're sharing with somebody else okay and you're walking down three flights of stairs or four flights of stairs to get to the call and then four flights of the stairs back there's nothing glamorous about being on broadway nothing Unless you're Brian Cranston, you have that dressing room right next to the stage. So that's a big eye-opener, you know? I would say doing regional theater, far more money spent on physical plant, on much more, much more. So there's no glamour that way. But on the other hand of it, side of it, yeah, you're, it's, it's inc that show was an extraordinary play. It's funny, I was just talking about it. I was in a meeting with the, uh, this, an amazing guy. He was the head of ABC News for many years. His name is, is uh, well, I don't want to give his name. Anyway, he, he was, he's, he ran ABC Disney. He's a high, high mucky muck, you know. And we were talking about this play because it was this wonderful confluence of theater and celebrity, Brian, and history. Because it was about L Lyndon Johnson, LBJ's first year in office as president, 1964, 63, 64. And 
what was exciting was, yes, you got a lot of celebrities came and saw the show, but more than the celebrities were the politicos. Nancy Pelosi came a couple times. I got to talk to her for a long time. She was charming beyond belief. Uh, one night we hear, you know, uh, applause before the show. We turn the camera that we usually have on the, the stage manager turns the camera out to the audience. And there's Hillary, and Bill, and Chelsea walking down the aisle, you know. Of course, Bill Clinton comes backstage, <clears throat> talks to us forever, you know. One of the most charismatic, charming people, as everybody knows. I've heard that. I, I remember I, I used to work at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. and, and one of the waitresses said she ended up at an event with him. And she said, oh, my God, I would have left my husband right then. She goes, that's how charming and charismatic he is. 23 actors in that play, right? Uh, there were four women, 19 men. Of the 19 men, I would say about 16 of us were straight, maybe 15 of us. Yeah, at least 15 straight male actors. You know, so there's a lot of straight male actors, some gay actors, some women. All 23 of us agreed after he left that we would definitely sleep with him and run away with him. No question about it. I would change teams, you know. Yeah, he, he was extraordinary. But there, and then we, we met, I met John Lewis, who was one of my heroes. Um, and that's the fun part about doing this is when you meet, you get to meet extraordinary people, you know. Um, I, I, I sometimes I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump where, you know, nobody knows who I am, but I, I get to rub shoulders with some incredible people, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Emma Thompson. And uh, I got to know the Abernathy family down in Florida, Reverend Ralph, and go to the Ebenezer Baptist Church every Sunday, be the only white face in the in the church and get to know the family. And, you know, you get to know and then at doing all the way on Broadway. Eric Holder, Nancy Pelosi, you know, and on and on and on, Chuck Schumer, all these people who came and saw the show. Um, One final question. What, yeah. What's the future of, I mean, are you going to keep directing? Do you, I mean, are you going to, I mean, what, what do you want your focus to be? Now, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. You've directed TV, you've directed plays, you've been on Broadway, you've been on a hit show, you've been in movies. We didn't even talk about a bunch of movies you've been in. But what do you... Where do you focus? I mean, we know you want to act till you're 103 and you're dead on stage and you don't believe it. But what is what is your what do you want to focus on now? Because you have so many different hats and you also teach, which we didn't get into. But what do you want your focus to be in the next five years? Do you want to come into my shrinks office next week and we can talk about it? Um, do you want to film the, the? I mean, I guess that's probably about. It's going to be about four or five visits at least with uh, my shrink. And yeah, it, you tell me. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I still haven't quite figured that out yet. So I, I, I love doing it all. I love teaching. I love directing. I love acting. Uh, I'm starting to write, which I love. But, you know, I also love Farting around the house, going to Home Depot and doing my projects. You know, I, I do a, I do all the plumbing, all the electricity. I do most of the carpentry. You know, I I I, that, I love doing that. Make it, it, it's kind of my my go to Zen place. But anyway, that's a good question, and I'm avoiding it because, uh, it's it's you know I'm not getting the roles that I used to at all, and and nor should I. You don't want to see an old part like this, you know, unless you're. Chris Cooper, somebody famous, yes, of course, Gary Oldman, 
but you know nobody I, there's just there the, the opportunities have shrunk to a to a bare minimum so you know that means either doing doing plays um but i think probably it's going to be more directing because it puts together my sort of my engineering mind and my acting mind you know um i love working with people i i I love elucidating moments. Um, I love telling stories. I love creating uh, magic, you know? So um, that seems to be probably where I'm going to spend most of my time. Well, that's awesome. I want to thank you for taking the time to come on today. Um, how can people get in touch with you? How do people get in Social, touch with Social Instagram? Me? Are you on Instagram? Are you on... I, I am on Instagram, but I'm, I'm the worst on social media. Um, there, uh, um, if, if what's my God, what's my, it's James Eckhouse workshops.com. Uh, James Eckhouse workshops.com. You can email me there if that's what you want with questions. And I'll be happy to feel however many people would be actually interested in learning about plumbing or what, uh, how to go to Home Depot and buy, uh, buy plumbing stuff at aisle six because that's mostly what people call me about. <laughs> Well, there you go, people. So go go on to IMDb. Look at uh, James. Uh, look at all his, watch his old shows. Go watch Bradley Hills 90210 again. If you haven't watched it for a while, watch it. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 940 episodes. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Instagram at coopertalk1. Twitter at coopertalk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Oh, James has something to say. One, one more thing. Yeah, my next show that I am doing, I'm actually flying to New York tomorrow, is to do Girls on the Bus. The Girls on the Bus. HBO show hasn't come out yet. Uh, I've got a lovely part on that. Not regular, but, you know, guest so, star. So, people, you heard that here. You heard it here. And so, people, remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Jim.